Listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times, with your hosts Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison. Welcome to the 16th episode of the SDSU Football Podcast. I am Andre Hagverdian, and I'm joined by my co-host Paul Garrison. We have a great episode for you guys today with two special guests. So let's get right to it. Our first special guest is Aztec for Life, Tariq Thompson, the hometown hero from St. Augustine High School, started in his first game as a true freshman at San Diego State and route to a stellar four-year career in which he was named All-Mountain West second team three times and first team once. We want to welcome uh, Tariq Thompson to the SDSU Football Podcast. How are you doing today, Tariq? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the spring game was uh, last week for the Aztecs. Uh, were you able to uh, take in the game, and what were your thoughts? Uh, definitely. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a great atmosphere, a lot of fans. You know, Aztec football is it's on the rise, and I feel like uh, the team last year is helping that grow, and uh, we get a lot of fans and a lot of new faces, and it's just a great experience. So I'm excited to see what they do this year. Are you going to make it out to uh, some games this year, hopefully? I definitely want to, uh, especially with the new stadium opening up. Uh, I would love to go there and just support the guys and support the coaching staff and all the people that was there for me, um, just show the same love that they gave me. You know, Co- Coach Kurt Maddox has talked about how special you were covering uh, players in the slot. As the team looks to replace Trent Thompson, who kind of took over that role for you last year, what does that player need to do to excel in that position? Confidence. Um, that's a big it's a big factor for uh, just playing DB DB position in general and just football players in general, but especially at the DB position, um, if you don't have confidence, it's hard to, you know, hard to make plays because you don't believe in yourself. You got to trust yourself. And all the guys, they're talented enough. I mean, they wouldn't be there if they weren't. That's something that I tried to instill in other guys when I was there. And, you know, the guys, when I came back for practice, I tried to tell them the same thing, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, everyone's gifted. Everyone has their special you know, tools and stuff like that. And they're there for a reason. You know, I'm there for a resource if they ever need it. But, I mean, some guys are balling and uh, can't wait to see them growing this year. Now, we've had a lot of recruits here on the podcast and every single one of them talks about playing early. But very few do. You obviously play it as a true freshman. I guess in addition to that confidence that you were just speaking about, what does a young player need to do to earn that spot to play as early as you play? Be seen and not heard. Um, I know it sounds old school. Uh, that's kind of what, you know, I learned from Coach Long and the guys when I first got to campus. Um, he had great leaders like Rashad Penny, um, you know, Big Chief, uh, Parker Baldwin, Cameron Kelly, um, Trey Lomax, Ronnie Lakalaka, and, you know, just those type of guys that, you know, just work hard, you know, I mean, they're leaders by example, but they also have voices. But, you know, the example part is more important, especially to me, because um, I'm not a very vocal guy sometimes. And that's something that I had to grow into and something I'm still developing as a player right now. And, you know, it's just something that you got to put the work in, you know, um, study, take advantage of every opportunity because, you know, you never know when that time is coming. And I feel like that's that's the big, uh, big standard and big opportunity for you to be able to play early. So looking back over your Aztec career, um, do you have any favorite moments? Uh, probably the New Mexico Bowl, just winning that. Um, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to win the Mountain West Championship, but uh, that game was so fun. And just, you know, winning the bowl game and just being with the guys for a week, you know, away from school, just, just you know, getting to know each other on a more personal level other than our, we already know, you know, just doing activities and stuff that, you know, we never really did. So the whole experience there was fun. and. Winning the game the way we did was something that I'll never forget. The phrase uh, blood in, blood out is written on the wall. It's used on social media. For people that aren't in that locker room, how important is that phrase and what does it mean to the players? It means a lot. It's the whole standard we live by, you know, protecting each other, um, you know, put our blood, blood, sweat, and uh, tears into every day and every workout and every meeting and just making sure we're giving the best of ourselves, best version of yourself. and. 
just believing in that one goal and help your team win. And that's what, you know, Coach Hall, Coach Hoke, and all the coaching staff, you know, they they believe that and they pour it into us. And, you know, we just got to go out there and execute. And that's what the guys are doing now. And, you know, they had a great season last year, and I'm hoping they can build on it and finally get the job done. You mentioned earlier, obviously, about the new stadium. Uh, as a San Diego native yourself, uh, what do you think that new stadium means to the community? It means a lot. For me personally, I was kind of sad when Qualcomm disappeared because, you know, my senior had to play in L.A. And uh, it's just it's not the same, you know. Being home is just something that you cherish and getting to see your family and fans and just being able to connect with people, uh, something that I missed in 2020. But to see them back now and, you know, seeing that stadium come up, just bringing back all the chills and all the great memories that I had. And hopefully the guys there can make great memories and, you know, the fans and families can see their see their sons or, do- or nephews, grandsons, cousins, whatever, friend, whatever. It just, you know, see them compete and wish them luck is just something that I can't wait to experience again. You talk about the stadium being torn down. Uh, 2017, the year that you came onto campus, the Chargers announced that they were leaving. Did you ever imagine that it could lead you to playing in LA your senior year? And what was that that 2020 season fully like? I never thought I would be playing in LA. Well, at least for San Diego State. Um, it's just, I don't know. It, personally, it's just something that I wasn't used to. I kind of didn't like, you know, driving up there and playing but you know you got to do what you got to do so it, it was whatever but um, just not being playing in front of my family uh, especially being in my senior season and just you know all the circumstances and stuff like that it was, it was very tough um, mentally just took a lot out of me um, physically you know not being able to be around certain people you know not be able to experience college how a normal college well I don't know what the new normal is now but you know, like five years, five to 10 years ago, just, you know, get the experience, you know, hanging out with your friends, um, doing all these extracurriculars and stuff like that. But um, just being kind of like isolated for a while, it just, I don't know, it wasn't the best, but it is what it is. And I feel like we, we left a lot on the table, but, you know, it was still a great year. No question. And your, uh, your head coach at St. Augustine came in and uh, became part of the San Diego state staff. Um, what was it like just, you know, playing for him again and, and kind of that adjustment between, you know, him being a high school coach and then coming and being a position coach. Uh, you know, when you know a person that long, you kind of can bump heads a little bit. Um, uh, me personally, I, I kind of just, you know, like to keep my head uh, under the table and just work, you know, and he kind of challenged me to do more uh, vocally and, Something that I needed, but, you know, it just – it was cool. It was different because, you know, previously knowing him as a high school coach and more of an offensive guy and him coming over to defensive backs and just, I don't know, kind of changed the perspective of the game and help you learn in a different way. So it was cool. Very cool. Then your uh, your father, Tracy, he also played for State 1982 to 1985. Um, what was it like hearing from him talk about SDSU? And, you know, in the recruiting process, was it just kind of a no-brainer that you were going to continue the Thompson legacy at State? Oh, definitely not. No. Uh, I kind of I ignore him whenever he talks about it uh, just because um, that's the kind of rivalry I have with him. Uh, you know, he always tried to act like he's a better player. So that's something that, you know, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder just going in there because he thought he was all this and, you know, uh, how to just let him know that uh, he's, he, you know, he, he, he can't be what I, what I did, you know, and everything was like competition at first, but then I realized I'm my own person and um, had to figure out my own, but my recruitment, uh, it was a no brainer. Uh, not, not for those reasons, but just cause you know, the defense and um, what they built here, just, you know, the com- competition level, uh, that's probably the best competition level I was going to get and staying home in front of the family and, I love San Diego, so it was just it's just hard not to pass it pass on that opportunity. After your San Diego State career ended, you know, you last year you went through the draft process, like a lot of your former teammates are going through right now. Can you walk us through how that process was for you leading up to the draft, during the draft, going undrafted, and then getting scooped up by the Bills uh, as an undrafted free agent? Yeah, so um, after twenty twenty season, you know, I headed out to Denver. Uh, Colorado to train at Landau Performance. A great facility, uh, great people, um, great atmosphere. Learned a lot about myself, about my body, and it's just about the whole 
training process and just, you know, getting yourself mentally and physically prepared to do pro day and then eventually get ready for the NFL. Um, gladly, I was able to miss out on any injuries or not get COVID or stuff like that. So it was kind of a clean transition to pro day. Unfortunately, on pro day, I didn't perform the way I wanted to or the way I expected to. And, you know, it is what it is. Um, I felt like I still showed a good amount of stuff. And um, when I went to the draft, you know, I was hoping to get my name called. But it is what it is. Um, blessed to be even able to, you know, say that I was in the NFL draft um, and got picked up by a team, you know. So um, it was it was amazing getting that call from Buffalo and heading out there and learned so much from the guys, coaches, great organization. Um, First-class organization um, taught me a lot, showed uh, tremendous brotherhood and just uh, chemistry there, um, learned a lot. I uh, still have a lot to learn, but, you know, it was a great experience. Um, hopefully I get back to that level, uh, just still training and trying to get myself ready to, for the next opportunity. You know, I was closely following your, your time in the, at the Bills uh, with training camp and preseason. You know, I know there were some articles. Bills Wire came out with an article naming you as like the number one undrafted free agent to look at for camp. Some talk about you making the roster practice squad and then surprisingly you got cut. Can you talk about how, you know, what those discussions were with the Bills? Uh, it was great. Um, you know, just just learning from the coaches. The coaches gave me a great opportunity. Um, unfortunately, uh, like you said, I was released. But supposed to, I believe something happened because I was supposed to be brought back and it just never happened, but it is what it is. Um, I felt like I competed well. I had great practices. Um, preseason games, didn't get too many reps, um, but learned a lot from it. Um, made me a better person, better man, learning from those guys. and It was just an honor. Uh, man, it's just something that, you know, you cherish and, you know, hope to get back to and believe I will eventually. During that time, um, you know, we all watch from a distance Bill's Mafia and all their crazy antics and all the things that they do. Um, did you break any folding chairs or uh, any uh, tables jumping off top ropes, anything like that? No, that ain't my thing. That's not me. Um, but, yeah, they have a great fan base. Um, they showed me so much love when I got out there, um, even before then. But, yeah, they're a great organization, great fans. Um, they pride themselves on being the best fans of football. Um, and they they're everywhere you know you see bills mafia everywhere on airport there i was in san diego flying out there and it was just bills bills fans there um had some stops in chicago dallas still seeing bills gear everywhere so it was it was cra crazy to see that um very amazing people out there uh very very amazing people in the organization and nothing but love for them so i mean take us back then through that year after you know you're released You've been, I mean, one of the best football players in college football for, you know, the four years that you were at state and now here you are without a job. Right. Um, so what was that year like for you? And, and did other teams reach out? Things of that nature. Um, it was kind of quiet. Uh, it was kind of frustrating, you know, just playing football my whole life. Never really had to wait for anything or, you know, not have an opportunity to play. But I mean, it's just the nature of the business, you know, um, Definitely feel like I should have an opportunity to play. Um, definitely know that I'm good, capable of playing at the level and playing at a high level. So, you know, just staying ready um, mentally, uh, physically and emotionally, you know, just being invested because, you know, you never know when your time's going to be up and you never know when you're going to get your next opportunity because, I mean, you can see what uh, Darren Waller, you know, um, players like that who, you know, go through a lot of stuff off the field or, you know, just have these – circumstances that prevent them from being in the league and you know they get their shot and they take advantage of it and I feel like I can be one of those guys you talked about you know staying ready what is it that you're you know you're working on in your career what you're hoping for as like your next next path next step currently I'm just trying to play whatever um USFL CFL NFL I'm just trying to get some film you know so that I can play um so that I've learned and developed from my last year in college you know it's almost been a year out for me not playing football I've learned a lot about myself, um, got my body in better shape, um, working on my speed, change of direction, strength, mobility, flexibility, all these things to make me a better player and better, uh, you know, athlete. So, you know, just trying to show it out now. That's, that's, that's the goal and that's the point. For Aztec Nation that wants to 
kind of stay in t- touch with you and find out what your next path is? How can they stay connected to your journey? Um, social media um, or, you know, I'll be at the game. So if they ever you know see me there, you can always say hello or, you know, ask me any questions you like. Um, kind of like open book. Um, learned a lot. So, yeah, you can follow me on social media or, you know, reach out to me in person. Or That's great, man. That was solid. Um, so those are the football related questions. You ready for some non-football kind of rapid fire questions? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it, man. What's your favorite food? Pizza. Pizza. What, what's on the pizza? Pepperoni and bacon. Now I want you to uh I want you to do a favor to all of the San Diego listeners, and they need to get their pizza somewhere. Where should they go? Ooh, that's hard. Um it is, yeah. <laughs> so I went to San Augustine. So there's a place called Lefties in North Park. Chicago style deep dish pizza. Go try that. There it is. Lefties. Uh, what about your favorite movie or TV show? Favorite movie or TV show. My favorite TV show on Netflix is uh, Outer Banks. Okay. What, 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 what do you like about that? Just the action adventure. Uh, I like comedy, so it's not. Yeah, I don't know. It's just something about it. I like it. Right on. Right on. Yeah. I don't have to analyze it too much. Uh, so uh, how about your favorite athlete um, growing up or presently? When I was growing up, it was Michael Vick and LeBron. But um, right now, I don't know. I don't, that's, that's a hard question. Probably myself. I know that yeah, sounds no terrible, doubt. but it doesn't. What What is it? Uh, you know, we people have answered that question. We've asked, what, "What is it that you see about yourself that you love?" Just my overall competitiveness and knowledge. Um, I learn a lot from everything. Um, I can tell you what certain defenses are running in the NFL. What what plays come in what the offense is trying to do, um, the different angles of winning games and stuff like that. So I feel like that's something that um, not too many people have. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I feel like I'm very versatile in, the, in that aspect as well. I can do a lot of things. So that's why. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great answer. Uh, what's your favorite musical group or um, artist? Um, right now, it'd be Blast. But o- o- over time, it's probably Drake. Okay. Okay. Um, how about your favorite hobby when you're not uh, playing football, preparing for football, et cetera? I'm a video gamer. I love playing video games. You know, hopefully that college football game come out soon so I can play that, play with my guys, you know, SCSU. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what uh, aside from, uh, I think, what, 2014 was the last year of it. Um, yep. what, what other what other games are you into? Um, Madden, NBA 2K, Fortnite a little bit. Um, UFC, okay. big fighting fan. So, yeah, I love those games. Very cool. Can you build in Fortnite? Uh, nah. I, no, that, I'm not. I'm not one of those. On that. No, that's what got me on it too. I couldn't do it. I was just, I was, all these kids are going up to the sky, and I'm like, man, I'm hiding. It's in too much. much. Yep, too yep. much for me. <laughs> right on, man. That was great. Those are your uh, non-football related questions, man. Well done. Thank you. Tariq, we want to thank you for uh, joining us on the podcast. Uh, always good to catch up with a with an Aztec for life. And uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, on a football field, hopefully soon in fall, wherever that may be. Yes, sir. Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor. Our second special guest today is John Schaefer. John is a prominent member of the San Diego sports media in which he co-hosts the John and Jim show on Extra 1360 from 3 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday also covers the Padres via the Padres wrap-up show and also has covered the San Diego State football and basketball teams as part of pre- and post-game coverage. John, thank you for joining us on the SDSU Football Podcast. How are you doing today? Doing well. I appreciate you guys having me. It's good to be with you. I've uh, been listening and following, and uh, you know, I appreciate the work that you guys are doing, so thank you for having me. Thank you. We appreciate you uh, listening and following for sure. So you cover a lot of sports in San Diego, particularly San Diego State and the Padres. Uh, We definitely want to talk about San Diego State football since we are a San Diego State football podcast. But we'd like to talk about kind of what you did before you came to San Diego in 2017. In my research, uh, Mm. Paul will call it social media stalking, but I call it research. (laughs) Uh, I saw that you attended Lower Marion High School in the mid-90s. I did. There was a certain other person that attended Laura Marion High School, maybe in a couple of the years you were there. Uh, 
Were you running uh, pickup basketball games with Kobe Bryant back in the day? It's funny. I did go to Lower Marion, and I was there uh, for two years when Kobe Bryant was at Lower Marion. So he graduated in 1996. I graduated in 1998. Um, as the story I always tell goes, I had high school gym class with Kobe Bryant when he was a senior and I was a sophomore. As crazy as that is, um, all these years later, um, you know, and I, I was – such a huge Kobe Bryant fan from the time I was a kid because, you know, I, I grew up kind of in the shadow of knowing that this was a star even before he was a star. So it's kind of surreal to go through that as a child and then like a, a young man and then to see the tragic ending, obviously, to his life as well. But yeah, I, I, uh, I went to Laura Marion with Kobe Bryant. I had high school gym with Kobe Bryant. We were not allowed to play basketball, believe it or not. <laughs> he was already too good. So there was no high school like basketball classes. So uh, it's just kind of crazy. But yeah, I went to LM. Um, Kobe was there. He was an unbelievable player. You can only imagine what Kobe Bryant was as a high school player. I mean, you can only imagine. Yeah. I, I saw some ridiculous things. I, I never knew he'd end up being the player he obviously became in the NBA, one of the best players ever. But looking back on it, it's, it's still kind of surreal 25 years later. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, you know, you went to Penn State uh, for college, and then you started – you did a lot of broadcasting for minor league baseball – and a lot of college basketball teams, one of which was St. Peter's, yeah. who just became uh, the first 15 seed ever to make the lead eight. Uh, what was that broadcasting experience like back in the day? I've got a really unique broadcasting background. You know, I always knew I knew when I was a kid I wanted to get into sports broadcasting, specifically play by play. That was always my interest. I spent 15 years as a minor league baseball broadcaster before I moved to San Diego. But in minor league baseball off seasons, I would moonlight as a college basketball announcer. So my first ever gig was at Longwood University in Farmville, Virginia. They were also in the NCAA tournament this year. The first Division One game they ever called, I called that season. They went one and thirty, um, and the wow. one win they easily could have lost. They won at home on like a, I forget the circumstance, but they needed a couple of free throws late to win the game. Um, but that was the first game. That was the first basketball game I ever called in my life when I was calling a Division One college basketball game. A couple of years after I left. Lynchburg, Virginia, I called five years of games, A-ball games for the Pirates in Lynchburg, and that's when I was doing Longwood games in the offseason. I was in Allentown, Pennsylvania, north of Philadelphia, for 10 years doing Phillies AAA games or 10 seasons. And in off-seasons, I would call games for programs like the first year I did NJIT, which was an upstart Division I program just like Longwood. They went 1-30 in 30 their first year. I called games for them. Uh, then the next two years, I did games in the internet for St. Peter's College, I believe at the time, and now St. Peter's University. And then I ended up calling games, primarily women's basketball games at Seton Hall and some fill-in men's games at Seton Hall as well. But the St. Peter's experience is one of the more remarkable ones. I mean, the St. Peter's story is more remarkable if you've ever been around their campus and if you've ever been inside their gym, which was recently renovated this past year. They call it Run Baby Run Arena, I want to say, or gymnasium. Yeah. But it's it's the game... Um, it's the same arena or gym that I called games in for a couple of years. It's just a gym. Lower Marion has a nicer gym than St. Peter's. It's not even close. I mean, it's not even comparable. Lower Marion's gym, which is now Kobe Bryant Gymnasium, to uh, the St. Peter's University gym, the Anatelli Center, which is essentially a YMCA. You walk in, it smells like chlorine. There's a pool off to the left. There's a basketball court off to the right. You see kids going to the pool. You see kids working out. And you see some kids going into the gym to get shots up. And from I mean you just you just have to experience it I mean even their college campus it's just two blocks it's just in Jersey City it's just in a neighborhood you wouldn't even know you're on a college campus and to go from that to the elite eight is unbelievable I never would have envisioned it in my my life I mean it's a lot like Longwood Longwood's in the middle of nowhere Virginia in a tiny gym but I could almost I don't know which would be harder to envision Longwood making an elite eight run or St. Peter's making an elite eight run. They're two of the more improbable possible runs in division one hoops. So for St. Peter's to make it, I cannot believe it, to be honest with you. I just I just can't believe it. Having called games there and and having seen what they've been able to accomplish, it's it's kind of cool to watch from afar. So did I get that right? Two one in 30 teams. I think there have been two one in 30 basketball teams in the history of division one basketball. And as I like to say, I call games for both of them. <laughs> I don't, I mean, there have been winless teams. I don't know if there've ever been 30 loss teams other than Longwood and NJIT. There might be a couple there was Savannah state had some years like that. I mean, there's been some, there's been some programs. Chicago state has had some tough years. I mean, so to have, you know, to go through that as a young broadcaster and then have the opportunity, like I've had these last five years, to be associated with San Diego State football and basketball, it's crazy because, 
you know, if you can call games for a team that goes one in 30, then you're good. <laughs> then you could basically do you could basically do anything in broadcasting. Like that's really hard to spin, so to speak, and to create content and to remain, you know, upbeat and positive and do your best on a broadcast and represent a university well. You know, you can only imagine those challenges. Like the adage is like find me a good team and I'll find you a good broadcaster because it's easy to be a, you know, a famous broadcaster when you work for the New York Yankees. Right. I mean, the Yankees win a lot of games or, you know, if you're with the L.A. Dodgers, it's a little harder when you're with a, a program that doesn't win, you know. So, um, yeah, I called games for two 30, lo- 30 lost teams their first years of Division One basketball. Longwood's first year, they went one in 30. NJIT's first year, they went one in 30. I remember after the one in 30 season for NJIT, New, New Jersey Institute of Technology in Newark. Also in a terrible gym. They've since changed out of it. I remember the coach pulled me aside. He's like, which, to be honest with me, John, which team was worse? The, the Longwood team you called games for or us? And I'm like, <laughs> you guys were both terrible. If I'm being honest with you, you both, you both were terrible. But yeah, I've, uh, I've had an interesting little broadcasting background, minor league baseball, college hoops, and all parts of the country. But it's my passion. I mean, I love calling games. Um, I love broadcasting. I love sports. So, um, you know, this is in my DNA. It really is. So then how was San Diego lucky enough to get you? Well, I mean, really, I, I'm lucky enough to end up here, to be honest with you. I, I consider myself to be the lucky one in this equation. I really do. I mean, my wife feels the same way. I'd never been to San Diego before, about a couple of months before we moved out here. My my wife had a little bit of a job opportunity um, to continue doing what she's doing, which is public relations. And she had some clients out West. And it was kind of a little bit of a leap of faith. I had spent 15 years in minor league baseball. I felt as if I'd done everything I possibly could accomplish without getting to the major leagues. And there's an element of fortune and luck maybe to get there. Um, and I'd call 10, 10 years in AAA. I had had some uh, opportunities or not opportunities, really interviews with big league clubs that I didn't end up getting jobs. And I just thought this was the right time. And I think we collectively thought it was the right time to kind of change our perspective and on, on what we were doing. So had an opportunity with extra 1360 really to start, you know, at the lowest rung in the, in the equation. I mean, I was a producer for for 18 months um i did have the good fortune to do some pregame halftime and postgame with san diego state uh right away which was again to my good fortune uh that was really what was probably the primary reason why i jumped at the opportunity to do that um and then you know uh, after time i had a chance to start doing more sports talk and i've kind of continued to work with san diego state over these last five seasons and it's been it's just been awesome i mean my my opportunity to work around San Diego State athletics with football and basketball and baseball and other sports has really been unbelievable. I think it's a, a terrific university and a great athletic department. And I feel privileged to just have the opportunity to, to be around it over these last five years. And now currently you're uh, coasting John and Jim on extra 1360. I know it's uh, my go-to when I'm uh, leaving work and coming home, <laughs> but just how has the response been um, for, for that new show and how's everything going with that? Uh, well, I appreciate you you listening, Paul. Um, we do. You know, the show's, show's only been going in its current iteration with myself and Jim Russell for about three months. And, um, you know, I think we're known as, you know, local sports, you know, having an avid passion for local sports, whether it's the Padres or if it's San Diego State football or if it's San Diego State basketball or if it's other just San Diego sports in general. That's what we lead with. I mean, we spend most of our time on the Aztecs and the Padres, we spend very little time on other subjects, whether you like that or you hate that. That's kind of been the philosophy of the show over the first three months. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed it. Jim and Jim and I have worked together a lot the last couple of years doing some Padres postgame work in 2020 and 2021. So I think we have a good rapport. Um, so, you know, I, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to do the show in addition to all the work around San Diego State. And yeah, it's, it's kind of in its infancy, to be honest. I mean, it's only been a few months. I think we'll We'll have some more traction once we get into um, Major League Baseball season and back into the college football season with Snapdragon Stadium and then back into next fall with Aztecs basketball. But, you know, the, the concept is simple. Talk to San Diego sports fans about things that San Diego sports fans want to hear about. So that's, for me, San Diego State football, basketball, and Padres baseball. For others, it might be some other subjects, but that's the primary focus for us uh, from 3 to 6 on Extra 1360, Monday through Friday. So switching gears to uh, San Diego State football, the program won 12 games for the first time in its history in 2021. What were your main takeaways from, from this last season? 
I thought it was an unbelievable season. And, you know, I always find it interesting when the narrative turns to, oh, yeah, you know, they won 12 games, but the, you know, the offense, you know, but they, they really couldn't throw the football. So well, hold on. Would you, would you rather win six games and have a 400-yard passer or be a top 10 offense in the nation? Or would you rather win 12 games and do it with an elite defense, you know? And there's something to be said about balance, but there's something to be said about winning. I feel like we discount winning so much in both of the primary sports that people care about in college athletics by and large, which is football and men's basketball. It's like, it's not a beauty pageant. And I say it every single post game with San Diego State football because people say, well, they won, but they won 17-13. Oh, they won, but they needed this defensive play to win. Well, who cares? I mean, I thought it was a brilliant year. And I think what they've done over the last 10 years under Brady and Rocky is develop an identity that feels like it would be in the Midwest or the Northeast. You can say this as well about Brian Dutcher's basketball team. It feels like they'd be in the Big East, but they play in sunny Southern California. Uh, and you got a couple of guys that, you know, you think about Brian Dutcher's background with, um, you know, University of Minnesota to the University of Michigan to out West. You think about Brady Hoke um, at the University of Michigan as well. Like there's a little bit of a calling card of like, gritty, tough, blue collar in both of those sports. So I love what they've done. I really do. I mean, what else are you asking for? They're going 12-2. and two. They're playing games in Los Angeles. They're playing games in the queue. Now, it's going to change at Snapdragon Stadium, and I think they have a chance to continue the success. But I thought it was a brilliant year. Would they have preferred to win the Mountain West Championship game, not lose it? Absolutely. Did they play their best football game against Utah State? And I was traveling that day. I want to say San Diego State was playing Michigan, and Ted was on the call yeah. for the championship game. And I was in Ann Arbor. I didn't watch the game in its entirety and I never have. But yeah, I think other than the Mountain West Championship game, it was a great year. I think that there'll be more well-balanced potentially moving forward with the quarterback situation in 2022. But my overall takeaway with 2021 is it's really a memorable year to play games in Carson, win 12 times. I think that should be regarded as one of the better years they've ever had other than the fact that they didn't win a league title. And Paul and I talk about this all the time. You know, it, are they a victim of their own success? Because Rocky Long mentioned this towards the end last year about how they won nine games, but it was the media was talking about what's wrong with San Diego State. And it's, you know, 12 years ago, they weren't, they were winning three games. You know, and are, are, is the fan base kind of uh, making the team kind of more of a victim of its success and, and wanting perfection instead of really good success? I think it's a great question, and I think that there's something there on the football and the basketball side, and I'm a big believer in expectations, and I think that it's of great value long-term that you have that level of interest and anticipation and excitement, and ultimately, it's a world better than the opposite, which is apathy, and I've I've called games in, in empty gyms at St. Peter's College in Jersey City and Farmville, Virginia for Longwood University, and, you know, I mean, there's a big difference between what we have here with San Diego State University and what some other fans have elsewhere outside of here. And are there things that they would strive for as an athletic department, like, um, you know, an entry into a power five league or, you know, winning a Mountain West championship game in football as opposed to losing it or winning a 13th game, not a 20. You can always strive for more. I mean, there's only one team at the end of the year in all these sports that ultimately is happy, right? I mean, whether it's, I mean, even the Alabamas have their years end cruelly at times or a Clemson or, you know, look at the final four coming up this weekend. I mean, three of these teams are not going to be thrilled with the result. It's as simple as that, you know, and one of them will be. So, and the fan bases are, are not going to be thrilled. You know, if Kansas loses to Villanova, I don't think it's going to go over well in Lawrence with their fan base. If, if Duke loses in the national championship or the final four, it'll be interesting to see the narrative on what Coach K accomplished here in 2022. So I think it's a really good point. I, th I think they've built this thing to a point where this is regarded, in my opinion, or it should be regarded as, as one of the best group of five programs in the country across all sports, specifically football and men's basketball. But speaking about football, I think Brady Hoke has one of the best group of five programs in the country. And I think it's a good thing that the expectations are high heading into 2022. So I've been putting a bow kind of on the 21 C 2021 season. Did this group reach its ceiling or did they leave a little bit out on the field left to, you know, to go after? I think they reached their ceiling, to be honest with you. I really do, Paul. I think it's a really fair question. And I think that defensively, you can't play better than they've played over the last five years. You know, I mean, I think you really can. And then you look at what they accomplished on special teams. And you look at all of those things that you need just to win eight times, you know, and they're able to win 12 times. I think offensively, at times, uh, they had moments. But 
you know, overall, do, do I think that I think you look at the entirety of the season, it's hard to envision that if you played over and over and over again, they'd have much better results than winning 12 times, winning a bowl game, beating a good program like UTSA. You know, I, I think it was a really special year. I really do. Now, again, at the end of the day, would you prefer to beat Utah State? hundred percent. There's no question about that. But considering everything, and if you just looked at it on paper statistically, I think people would say, man, winning 12 games um, was a hell of a, an accomplishment for Brady Hook's program last year. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, looking ahead to 2022, um, it's hard not to lead off with a question about Snapdragon. What impact do you feel like this is going to have on the city, the school, and you know, football recruiting, et cetera? I think it'll be massive. I really do. I think it's um, kind of a landmark moment in the history of San Diego State's athletic department. I think that there is nothing that prevents San Diego State from entering a Power Five conference other than an invitation. I don't think that their resources differ from most Power Five programs, maybe not all, but most. I don't see a difference personally between Arizona State and San Diego State, with all due respect, or Texas Tech and San Diego State, or Oregon State and San Diego State, or Washington State or San Diego State. I think the difference is some of those programs had Division One programs well before San Diego State. They may have had facilities well before the Aztecs had their facilities. And ultimately, it's all about timing. And if you're going through this process in 1967, it's a lot different than going through this process in 2022. And there's a little bit of uh, fortune, luck, timing that goes into this. You know, in in the modern era, is Vanderbilt in the SEC? Probably not, but they were grandfathered into the league. In the modern era, is Kansas State? I'm making it up. Part of the part of the Big Twelve? Maybe not. Or is Iowa State part of the Big Twelve? Are they in the Group of Five? But because they were in this, you know, in that conference long ago, they're kind of grandfathered into the the process. So I think Snapdragon Stadium, in in a five or ten year view, could impact San Diego State so significantly that it could ultimately result in a Power Five invitation. Regardless of that, I think it puts San Diego State on as good of a footing as any program in the Group of Five in the country. I think from a recruiting perspective, it puts them in that conversation as well, recruiting to a new stadium and sunny Southern California and a good academic university that's applied to by 100,000 students every single year. Um, I think the missing piece with San Diego State football was facilities. I think the missing piece with San Diego State athletics was facilities. When you couple Viejas Arena with Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego in a market without the NFL – what else do people want? I think if people are really doing the homework and the deep dive and the research, this is an absolute you know, goldmine potentially for a conference. But for San Diego State specifically, I think they'll reap the rewards, whether it's the Mountain West or not. I mean, who, who, who really cares? Because they're going to take advantage of, of whatever situation is in front of them. So I think from a football perspective, like you guys have talked about, the last 10 years have been this unbelievable era of San Diego State football. I think it continues. That's what I think happens as a result of Snapdragon Stadium. I just think it continues. So the the, the Aztecs had their spring camp uh, that ended with the spring game last week. There was a lot of buzz about the performance, especially the quarterbacks. Uh, Breon Penny had three touchdowns. There's there's a clear level of improved talent in the quarterback room. Do you think that manifests its, itself to a more successful season, given the fact that they did win 12 games last year? Well, that's the thing. That goes back to the chicken and egg conversation. I think it's a, a really it's a really good question because there is no guarantee that by being a really good team on one side of the ball or the other, that that results in wins or losses, or being a good team on both sides of the ball. You know how football is fickle. I mean, it's 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 a play, it's a turnover, it's a kick, right? It's a moment, it's a drop. Um, I mean, think think back to like the Utah. Uh, game in Carson. I mean, the back and the fourth, and it could have really gone either way. And this happens all the time in college football. And San Diego State plays a lot of close football games. I mean, do I think they're better off for having improved quarterback play moving forward? Yeah. Do I think it guarantees they win 12 or 13 games next year? No. Unfortunately, I don't think that. There's so many factors that go into it. I think scheduling is most important. I mean, scheduling is so important. And I love this schedule this upcoming year. I love the fact that they get to go to Salt Lake and play Utah think it'll be a really good game. I love that they get Arizona at home. Um, there's challenges in the conference going to Boise, going to Fresno. Like this, this is going to be a tough schedule. It really is. Um, but I'm excited about Bra Braxton Burmeister. I really am. And Will Haskell. 
Um, I think the offense will be better. I think the quarterback play, how could it not? I think if Braxton's fully healthy, having starting experience years ago at Oregon, more recently at Virginia Tech, I think he's capable of taking the offense to the next level. Jeff Eklinski, another year as offensive coordinator. I thought he had some really good moments in the second half last year. I thought he he called some really good games. I know that there were a lot of people that were critical at times of some of the offensive philosophies are trying to hold leads, but you look at some of the moments over the course of the season. If you looked at it, there were some really brilliant play calls over the course of the season, including against UTSA. So I think he's an improved play caller. And I thought he did a really nice job last year. I think that improves here in 2022. And I think to your point, the weapons, I think the receivers, the most underrated part of this team is everyone talks defense. Everyone says, where's the quarterback? Oh, this defense is carrying the team. These receivers are extremely underrated. And there's a chance for these receivers in more of a national spotlight this year with the new stadium coming off a 12-win year, maybe with improved quarterback play to really take another step. And I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if this became, you know, a, a really good offense. Uh, you know, whatever that means, statistically speaking, I wouldn't be shocked if this is a top 35 caliber offense. I think maybe some people would be surprised to hear me say something like that, but I think they have really good skill. We'll see about the offensive line, but I think the the ceiling on the offense is is a lot of improvement. Now we'll see how that couples with the defense and the schedule, but to answer a long way of answering the question, I think that improved play on either side of the ball is always advantageous, but it doesn't guarantee anything at the end of the year, right? You got to play it out. Yeah, we've always kind of talked, Paul and I have talked about how we can see the offense improving. We can see the defense still being good, mm-hmm. but winning less than 12 games, right? Winning games isn't necessarily, as you said, about just having a better this and a better that. There's moments in games that shift the, the outcome. Right. And uh, I think fans sometimes lose sight of that. Like winning 12, you can be a better team and lose more games than you did the prior season. 100%. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think it's a good point. I mean, 12 wins would be an amazing year. I <laughs> mean, because you're only going into a 12 regular season games, yeah, maybe a championship game, maybe a bowl game. I mean, if there are Aztec fans out there right now that would not sign up for 12 wins, um, then I don't know, you know, where is the bar? I mean, you can't expect to win every game every single year. I don't think that's realistic again for Alabama. I don't know if it's realistic for San Diego State either, but are the expectations to win 10 games and compete for a Mountain West championship? I think those are fair and those are realistic. And is there work to be done between now and then? Yeah, Brady Hoke would probably tell you there's some work to be done to get to that point. But hopefully that's the, the ceiling on this team, you know, double digit wins and getting in contention for another Mountain West championship game. Couldn't let you go without a couple of questions or a question about basketball, man. Sure. It's, it's, it's a very, very similar script. Um, Brian Dutcher is able to bring a bunch of new people in. He crafts, a really good team that's playing its best basketball, but then it flames out in the NCAA tournament. Right. So would you, how would you look back on the season and its success? um, You know, just given all the context of everything that took place. I think it was a really successful year. I think that a lot of Aztec fans would have gladly taken an NCAA tournament team specifically after the way the season was going maybe in the middle of the year after the COVID pause, and they lost at home to Boise State, and they scored 37 points in the game, and they lost 42-37. They had a lot of work to do from that point on. Uh, To get into the NCAA tournament from there, and really the way they closed, winning in Laramie, winning 9 of 10, getting to a Mountain West championship game, I think I'll look back on the season as a, honestly, personally, I think it was extremely successful to get into the NCAA tournament. Now, the the NCAA tournament game, you wish they could have won that game against Grand. There's no question about it. The nine-point lead. I mean, you can, as I think about it now, I can, I can relive all these moments. I'm sure Brian Dutcher and his staff relive it. I'm sure Matt Bradley and his teammates relive it. And what's interesting is the whole season hinged on four or five plays, right? A couple of free throws in Boise, um, the final possession against Boise in the Mountain West tournament, final possession against Creighton in the NCAA tournament. It's like, man, if you had a lot of luck on your side or a lot of good moments late, this could have been you know, like a three loss team and like a four seed. I mean, that, that would have been like the, the, the craziest possibility with this year um, because they were in every single game they played other than literally one game. They were in every single game they played. I know they wish they won an NCAA tournament game. You know, that narrative is going to continue into 2022, 23. There's no question about that. I would tell you that in 2020, you know, they would have won NCAA tournament games, but we don't know. I mean, Kentucky lost to St. Peter's. We don't know. San Diego State could have won a national championship in 2020, or they could have lost to St. Peter's, right? I mean, that's that's the beauty and the madness that is this tournament. Um, the facts are the facts. 
You know, they've lost their last three NCAA tournament games. They haven't won an NCAA tournament game since 2015. I do still love their prospects moving forward. I think they're well positioned. I think they're extremely well positioned. I think with the right offseason, they could put themselves in position where the expectations are comparable to 2019-20 going into the year. And I'm not saying they're going to go 30 and two. So let me be clear. The, the expectation isn't to win 30 games. They're going to play in Maui against three NCAA tournament caliber teams in November. But in terms of you know, could they be a preseason top 25? Could they vie for the top 25 all year? Should they be a preseason favorite in the Mountain West? Should they be back in the NCAA tournament? Could they be a high seed wearing, you know, home uniforms in their first NCAA tournament game? So d- despite the way this finished, I think there's a lot of optimism for last year. And ultimately, again, like we talked about earlier, expectations have risen. The funny thing is the difference between, I think, for the fan base, an amazing year and an okay year, we just hold on to a lead against Creighton. You know, if they held on to that lead against Creighton, I think everyone would tell you, oh my gosh, what an amazing year San Diego State had. And then they lose a lead. People say, oh, it's a terrible year. Hold on. It's got to be, that's not fair. You can't say one year was amazing, one was terrible. I think it was a very good year. And I get the fanaticism and the fandom in it. Everyone wanted to win that game. Everyone. Unfortunately, they didn't. I still think they're well positioned moving forward. Yeah, no question, especially given the fact that Bradley's coming back. I mean, that he can build off of what took place to go to that next part. So I got a journalism question for you. You're a very positive host um, in a business that seems to thrive on negativity. Um, And it seems like for a journalism person, there's like a catch 22 where if you're positive about the team that you cover, you're a homer. And so that kind of only leaves you with one option, which is to go out of your way to criticize the team. Hmm. So how do you approach just that whole conversation with your work? And, you know, definitely want to hear your answers. I can learn from it. I think it's a really interesting point that you bring up there. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is, I think if, if people follow me on social media, if you listen to me on Extra 1360, if you hear me as a host or as a pregame, halftime, postgame person, as it comes to San Diego State, you know, the funny thing is I wouldn't consider myself a homer. I would tell you that I'm kind of representing the, the you know, I'm representing a, a university. I'm representing what fans of the university or alumni of the university are, are feeling as well. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting conversation. You know, there's extreme homerism, there's extreme levels of criticism. I would also tell you when it comes to covering, um, you know, student athletes, I think there's a difference between covering student athletes and college athletics and covering professional sports. I mean, I think it starts there for me. I mean, the idea that after San Diego state lost to Creighton, people say, fire Brian Dutcher and Matt Bradley's got to find another school to go to because he's not clutch is ridiculous. It's completely utter, utterly ridiculous in my opinion. And I'm happy to say that because it's how I truly feel. I don't say anything that I don't honestly feel. I mean, I'm close to the program. I cover the, the programs very closely, but I'd rather spin it in a positive manner as opposed to a negative spanner manner, especially when it comes to college athletics. But, um, you know, I've been criticized for it. There's no question about it. I'll be criticized for the way that I cover San Diego State. I'll be criticized for the way that I cover the San Diego Padres, where I take a more critical take on average. Again, they're professionals. They're not student athletes. Um, They're paid to perform, you know. So it's it's an interesting point, you know. And again, I have experience having called games for teams that went one and 30, and I can still spin it to you got to put this in a perspective. Hey, this is a first year of Division One program. Uh, these are the long term goals. Just being, you know, competitive should be considered a positive. So I have a lot of experience doing it, you know. And I, I'm I'm all for it. in this business. I'm all, if people want to be critical of the way that I cover San Diego State or the Padres or the way I do my job, I'm all for it. I understand it's a part of the business. I'd rather have people be critical of me as opposed to not even mention me. To be honest with you, so. You know, I think by and large, San Diego State supporters appreciate the way that I cover these programs. Now, does that please everyone? Probably not. But at the end of the day, I can, you know, I just try to accomplish what I'm able to accomplish. A, a, a bad, long-winded answer to try to answer your question, Paul, to be honest with you. No, no, it was perfect. And, and um, you know, I, I think that the way that you fall on it and the way you land, especially that point that, that these are kids still is absolutely kind of where I've landed on it as well. And I think that, you know, you, the, the, the tone that you take, man, I, I, I really admire and, and try to emulate for sure. You know, I, I will say this and I appreciate you saying that I, I really, I appreciate your coverage and the way that you, you covered as well. And again, there's, there's something about doing this that I think on the outside, people don't understand that 
there's a lot that goes into it, just covering it in general. I mean, just the angles that you're taking, the pieces that you're writing, the content that you're producing, the words that you're using, like there's a lot that goes into this, you know, and, and people, I'll say every once in a while on Twitter, you need to, you need to report on this team. You know, you, I, well, I'm not a reporter, you know, truth be told, I mean, the, I, I work for the university, right? I mean, I'm covering pregame, halftime and postgame. I'm, I'm paid to cover, I'm paid to do this, right? So, I mean, the idea that I'm representing the university in some form or fashion, and I'm a, I am take a lot of pride in being professional with everything I do. When I'm on the air with Extra 1360, I'm representing iHeart. So I, I, it's not just John Schaefer's show. I'm, I have an employer. Um, so you have to be very cognizant of the words that you use. And I don't always use the perfect words, just like writers don't always use the perfect words or fans don't always use the perfect words. And we all have made mistakes in the way that we cover certain events. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to do it in a professional manner that is fair to the fan base, but also fair to the people that I work for as well. So you take all that into account and that's how you create content, in my opinion. You know, I mean, everyone comes into everything that they do with some level of bias. If I work for the New York Times, I work for the New York Times. There's an expectation going into that. That's not to say they they tell you every angle that you need to take in your writing, but at every level, unless you just work for yourself, and even if you do, you still take a level of bias into what you're doing. So when people say, oh, you need to do more of a reporting, I'm like, well, I'm not a reporter. I'm I'm not a reporter. I'm offering you my opinions. I'm and I'm also providing pregame, halftime, and postgame content before San Diego State football and basketball games. And that's what I'm doing. That's really good insight. Uh, to close this out, uh, we have some rapid fire uh, sure. questions for you. What's your favorite food? Then why is that a tough question for me? I don't really, you know, I'd say Mexican food. Um, my wife's favorite food is Mexican food, which means we are eating Mexican food more than any other food. So I'd say Mexican food. Uh, what about favorite movie or TV show? Well, if <laughs> my background on radio, if, I don't watch movies by and large. Um, <laughs> I really don't. And I get ripped for not doing it. Um, and I don't watch a ton of TV either. I guess my favorite TV show of like the last decade that I watched is Breaking Bad. Now it's been probably five yeah. years since I watched it. I've seen the entire series in its entirety. So I don't watch a ton of television. I watch some of these shows like on the the Netflixes and the HBO you know, pluses of the world. I'm watching winning time right now in the Lakers because one of uh, our hosted extras actually in the show, Steve Hartman, his voice is in the yeah. show for a couple of episodes. I just recently watched euphoria as well, which I thought was a pretty unique show, but I'd say breaking bad is my most uh, favorite show of the last like 10 years. Favorite musical artist or group. Interestingly, it's the Dave Matthews band. Um, I kind of grew up listening to them like specifically like late in high school and in college, I've probably seen them play 35 times. I haven't seen them play in the last decade maybe one time in the last decade, but from like 18, more like maybe 16, 17 to 30, I probably saw them like 30 or 35 times. I, I still have a uh, channel programmed on Sirius XM, channel 30 that I listen to all the time. That's Dave Matthews Band Radio. You you went to a concert last summer that I was I really wanted to go to. You posted on Twitter, it was the Nas show with the symphony at Rady Shell. Are you, are you a hip hop fan too? Or Yeah, again, that's... I am. I mean, my wife more so than I am. Um, we both saw Nas, I want to say, during a concert for Virginia Tech, following that tragedy in Blacksburg, mm-hmm. Virginia. Dave Matthews performed in Blacksburg uh, Lane Stadium, the football stadium, later that year. I mean, this is forever ago. Um, but we saw Nas there. Um, we saw Dave Matthews there. Um, my wife was Kristen is is a hip hop fan and a Nas fan. That concert was unbelievable, by the way, at the Rady Shell because it was with the Symphony Orchestra. He's only played with the Symphony a couple of times. He did it with like the National Symphony, uh, Symphony in D.C. on like the 20th anniversary of Illmatic, <laughs> that album. Um, and it was a very similar performance to that. And this was a handful of years later. And it was it was absolutely phenomenal for those that haven't been to the Rady Shell. That's like a must do now in San Diego. Yeah, I was in Vegas for the NBA Summer League when that show got announced or I was going, so I ended up missing it, but I, I was, I've seen Nas before, but yeah, that would have been a good one. To go it was to. pretty cool. Yep. And then the last one is favorite hobby outside of uh, what you do, you know, on a daily basis. I'm, I'm so enamored by this stuff. I would say 
you know, travel. Uh, overall, my wife and I have traveled a lot. Um, we've spent a lot of time. We've been in Europe. We've been overseas. Um, we've made a, a habit over the years of, of traveling. We're going to go away in a couple of weeks uh, just to Park City, Utah. Um, so, But we've gotten away from it over the last two years because of the pandemic. Plus, I have a three-year-old son at home. So we haven't really traveled at all over the last three years. Um, but you know, my, my, my dad, when I was young, was in the travel industry as well. So I used to travel a lot as a kid. So I would say I would say um, travel, but truth is my hobbies are what I do. <laughs> yeah. John, thank you so much for taking the time. This is a great conversation. We're happy to have you on. Um, I can speak for Paul and myself that we, we're, big, we're big fans of you. We definitely appreciate your coverage. And I know a lot of people in San Diego feel the same way. So uh, we're the lucky ones to have you. So we appreciate you uh, being here. <laughs> No, I appreciate you guys saying that seriously and keep doing what you're doing um, because um, what we're all doing is kind of similar work, which is what we enjoy to do. Um, and, you know, it sometimes it takes up some nights and weekends and mornings and afternoons and evenings. But at the end of the day, man, we're the fortunate ones because there's a lot of people that, that you know, would, would love to be doing what we're, what we're capable of doing or what we've been able to do. So I appreciate you having me in a, anytime. I look forward to doing it again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, Paul. So we had two great interviews on this episode, one with uh, Tariq Thompson and, and the other with John Schaefer. Let's start with Tariq. Um, the first thing that jumps out to me is I was stunned and I still am after talking to Tariq about how no team in the NFL offered this guy a practice, at least a practice squad position. There's 32 teams in the NFL. And I think the NFL really, increase the practice squad maximum to I think 16 players a team last year because of COVID. I think it was from 12 to 16. That's if I did the math right, it's you know over 500 spots on a practice squad. And to not see Tariq Thompson on a on a team and him telling us that he didn't get any calls from anybody just it stuns me because the tape doesn't lie. The guy was one of the best defensive players in college football for four years and it's, it's, it, I still, I don't, I, I can usually provide explanations for why people don't get drafted or why people don't get on uh, a roster or things like that with, with this, I, I, I don't have an explanation. I think it's a great point. Add to that. He said he was open to the USFL, the CFL, and that those things also have a materialized form It is awfully strange. I think that the other part of it that you know really jumped out to me is how big the values and the culture that San Diego State has, how big it continues to be even after they leave, and um, to see him, you know, at the pro day to um, interact with some of his former teammates, to see you know the article that came out, all the different people who are just you know big fans of his and want to see him succeed. Um, that was a really big part that jumped out for me, but yeah, it, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense that a person this intelligent, this, um, good at football is not having a spot. Um, it reminds me a little bit of, of, uh, the, the story I overheard some scouts talking to Taylor Hawkins and, um, at the pro day and they, they told him they made that line, you know, um, that the tape doesn't lie. Maybe it's scouts who are lying. Maybe they don't care about the tape because I mean, what, what else would you want than what Tariq Thompson did? I mean, he, he's not just a solid player. He's a game changer causing turnovers. I mean, everything you'd want him to do in every aspect of the game, including coming up with the big play at the big moment, knowing what's happening and he made them all. And for whatever reason, that tape hasn't stood out to pro scouts, but hopefully there there's time and, and it can turn around because I think the team that picks them up would be very, very happy with what they got. My my cousin's husband is a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. Uh, grew up in, I think, Rochester or near the Buffalo area. And, you know, when Tariq got drafted by the Bills, I sent him a message like, hey, or not drafted, but signed, undrafted free agent. You know, the San Diego State guy, this guy's a baller. You know, look out for him. And he would send me clips of interviews and articles that he'd re read about him. And there was a, a lot of buzz about him and it just, it just one day kind of vanished. And I remember you touched on this in your article that came out uh, about Tariq that, you know, his elite, his athleticism was kind of the downfall, right? His, his, 
relative athletic score is RAS, as we've alluded to in articles previously, was not very good based on some of his pro day numbers. Uh, Tariq mentioned that in, in our interview that he wasn't happy with how his pro day went. Um, so that obviously impacted his, his draft stock. But as I said, you know, the tape doesn't lie. You get, you hear that a lot. And uh, clearly people didn't buy, buy into his tape. Uh, however, that may be. Yep. And I thought that it was interesting. We talked about how much of a learner he is and that's like a big part of his identity. And so he's been working on all of that athleticism. And, and I, I would wager, given his work ethic, given what he's able to do, that if he was able to do another RAS score, it would it would look a lot better. And so just hopefully he gets that shot and he gets that opportunity to, to go. I mean, after the draft happens, they're going to be, you know, all of the free agent signings, all that stuff. And um, hopefully, you know, he, he'll be invited to a mini camp and he'll get that opportunity to showcase all he's learned over the year um, that he set off. Our second guest was uh, John Schaefer. What do you think about our chat with him? I thought John's great. I mean, I, I really enjoyed, I really was uh, enjoyed the very last question asking just about how you're, you know, how, just kind of, I guess the tone that, that, that he takes and how he approaches um, covering the Padres, covering the Aztecs um, because, you know, there, there are a lot of voices out there and I'm sure you hear them as well. I mean, as we're looking to cover the team, like we're not fans. And so it's, we, we can't cheer for them. We can't go into it with, you know, completely rose colored glasses, but at the same time, I've, I've certainly felt and seen this sort of tension that's out there that if you pay attention to the good things in the program, like that's somehow really negative. You feel a little bit backed into a corner. Like, you know, you gotta be critical. You gotta be hard hitting, you know? I think at the end of the day, I liked his, his comments about that, that these are still student athletes. They're still amateurs. And so how you're going to approach being critical of them should change versus the pros. Um, and then, you know, I, I just seeing his body of work, I, I, I definitely think that the tone that John takes is um, fair and he's, you know, willing to say when something isn't, you know, the way it needs to be, he's willing to call them out. He's willing to say that. But also at the same time, he appreciates um, the good parts as well. And, you know, he emphasizes them, you know, obviously he's a little different from us because he's employed by the university, as he said, you know, but I, I really wanted to pick his brain about that. And I really appreciated that answer. That was definitely a great question and a great answer. One of the things he alluded to as well in multiple answers was about the student athlete versus the professional athlete, right? When you're dealing with uh, someone that's, 18 to 22, not getting paid to be, to play versus someone that's in their twenties or thirties getting paid potentially millions of dollars. They had, there is a difference in evaluating who they are and how they're playing because that does matter. And I think with both of us getting to know and interviewing some of these San Diego state football players, getting to know them more on a personal level, for sure. You're, you, you have a different perspective of it. Absolutely. The other, the other thing I enjoyed was the first half of our conversation is kind of getting to know, you know, what he, who he was and what he did before he came to San Diego. His, he's only been in San Diego for five years, but like, I, I would say he's pretty much become the voice of San Diego sports uh, in such a short period of time. And that's not just because of his knowledge and his skill set, but his personality, his humor, that he's definitely endeared himself to the community. And I think that's why the community loves loves listening to him um but just his stories about going to high school gym with kobe bryant i thought was really cool and then covering you know the college basketball teams that he covered that are one and 30 including saint peter's you know what, <laughs> what a run that they went on so i thought that was really interesting and it really gave us and hopefully our listeners a better idea of, of who john is his background and things like that yeah i was i was glad to be able to do that because i think that some of those those details, you know, they're out there, but it's hard to kind of allow for, you know, a full telling of, of those things like the, the story that um, Lower Marion has by far a nicer gym 
than St. Peter's and that the entire gym at St. Peter's smells of chlorine because there's a pool right next to it. And during the games and there's people going to go use the pool as much as coming and watching the games. And so just, just that idea and that picture, and then they go to the elite eight, you know? And, and so it's just, it's, it's just a wild story and a wild tournament that something like that could happen, you know, and it's why I think, you know, as, as I think every pro league, um, NFL already has it, but every pro league should have that kind of single elimination tournament. I mean, you know, imagine around the all-star break, getting rid of 30 games in baseball and you had like one game, uh, just a tournament, you know, and how much fun that would be to crown another champion, do the same thing in basketball, you know, and you sent that article on Twitter that they're thinking about it, but it's, it's just, you need those kind of stories. You need those kinds of like, um, just to gravitate towards, but, you know, back to just some of other John's comments, I, I think that he, um, you know, he just, he spoke about the, the Aztecs and their fan base and the fact that, you know, this team won 12 games and he felt like that, that they reached their ceiling, even in the, you know, they didn't get the opportunity to, to be at full strength for the mountain West championship. But yeah, I think that it's for, because they didn't win the championship, there's still that idea that maybe this wasn't a great year. And I, I think that, you know, just John's ideas of how demonstratively, no, this was a great year. They won the most that they've ever won. 12 games is fantastic. What else do you want? And then, you know, just giving that same caveat that this offense could be a lot better in 2022, but it doesn't mean that they win 12 games. Yeah. And he, he said, uh, you know, if you win 10 games, well, you win the conference tournament conference championship. Do you look back on it? Do the players, the coaches, the fans look back on it in a better light than they look back on it this year with 12 mm-hmm. wins, but not a conference mm-hmm. championship. So it's, you know, Coach Hoke always says, and Coach Long said it as well, the goal is to win your conference championship. And, you know, when you don't win it, 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 it looks at it as, like, not a successful season, even though you did win 12 wins for the first time. So there's different ways to look at it. Um, and, you know, moving forward, obviously their goal is to win 22 next year in 22. So uh, how the, the season ends up, we'll, we'll, we'll find out and we'll evaluate it as such. Absolutely. And I think it uh, was just another reminder of what Daniel Bellinger said, that if the COVID rules had changed, which they changed just a little bit after COVID went through the San Diego State program, a bunch of the players would have been back and they may have actually been a lot closer to full strength. And so it'll always be that, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda, what if um, kind of feel to it. But Nonetheless, I think it's very clear that that was a really successful season. And as they're moving into Snapdragon Stadium, you know, just look forward to the coverage that John is going to continue to provide. Yep, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, both interviews uh, as much as we did. Uh, Make sure to follow us, like us, subscribe us on all your favorite platforms. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. You are listening to the SDSU Football Podcast, presented by the East Village Times with your hosts, Andre Hagverdian and Paul Garrison.